St. James. I'm glad that you guys are here. Can I give you a few announcements real quick? Actually, uh, two of them will be quick and one of them will be a little bit longer. Uh, so the two quick ones are a uh, new members class coming up here starting November 1st at six o'clock in the evening. I think that's right. Yep, six o'clock in the evening. If you're interested in coming to that at all, and I frequently get you know current members who do come to it, uh, that you're more than welcome. We're going to hang out and talk about the Bible and eat donuts. And so... Um, it's a good time. If you know of anybody who'd be interested in learning more about Christianity, this, great, this class is a great opportunity to do that as well. So let me know. Also, Youth Confirmation is going to start the same Sunday at 11.30 a.m. Uh, the rules for that, are that, we don't have any age restrictions here. It's not an eighth grade thing. It's if your kid or if your grandkid or if you know of a kid who wants to be a Christian, believes in Jesus, can sit through an hour class listening to me talk for a little bit which is not the easiest thing to do, and uh, uh, can understand basic concepts, let me know. That person, uh, that kid, he or she is more than welcome to come to uh, the Youth Confirmation class. That'll be November 1st, too, at 11.30 a.m. And I'll remind you more about those two things later. Okay, so here's the big thing, which I brought up last week. Um, this is, this is not, not decided at all, but we have to decide this. So I'm gonna throw this at you. Educational opportunity. Uh, Christ Community Lutheran Schools in St. Louis, CCLS, a big school. They have four campuses. Uh, their technology director, Will, is a member here. CCLS is exploring uh, alternative ways to do education uh, because we, you all know this. If, if, you've been in, uh, if you went through a traditional classroom, you'll know that in any classroom, the teacher has to teach to the middle. And so if there's a student who is excelling, uh, sometimes they get bored because the teacher's not teaching at their level of progress. The teacher has to teach the kids in the middle. Also, if a student is struggling, the teacher has to teach the kids in the middle, and so it's hard for that student who's struggling to catch up. CCLS is planning to address this issue by starting micro schools, um, cap of 30 students, uh, and basically they'll be tested three times a year to figure out where their level's at, and then they will do self-paced learning. CCLS is going to provide the content online, instruction online. The kid can work as fast as he or she wants to go or as slow as he or she needs to. And they would like to start one of those campuses here at St. James. It would not be St. James Lutheran School. We're not starting a school. It would be completely run by CCLS. Uh, the employees would work for them. Uh, they would finance it. We would just be providing the building. And then I would lead the chapels during the week. Now, what I need you guys to do, this is, we've not decided this at all. I'm just throwing this at you right now. I need you to spend, if you, if you can do this for me, 
uh, for those of you who are members, spend the next couple weeks thinking about questions, objections, uh, problems you see or successes you might think this might have, and like be thinking about those things because uh, Matt, the director of CCLS, is going to be here middle of November, I think November 15th, to talk about, to present this to us and then to field our questions. So again, we, this is not something that we need to decide this as a congregation, uh, whether or not this would be a good idea. I can tell you going into this, because this is kind of a big question that some of you will have. I had a conversation with the pastors at the two biggest schools close to here, at Trinity and at Good Shepherd, and all three of them were on board and said it sounds like a really cool opportunity, and we would not be offended at all if you did this. If uh, We've run it by... Uh, the president of the district, and uh, Jeff Fick, the, uh, uh, edu uh, the education director of the district. And they said, if you guys want to do this, go ahead and uh, do it. So we have their blessing, which is not, we're not in any way obligated to do it. We need to, as a family, decide if that's something that we would like to participate in. So uh, this is not a great time for questions right now, but we will have that time later. Anyway, let's be thinking about these questions and discussing it with everybody else, like have conversations where you kick these ideas around with other people in the church. Let me know if you have any questions. I don't know everything about it, but um, I know the guys who are kind of behind it. So again, we'll, we'll discuss this November 15th, and we'll probably need to come to some sort of yes or no decision middle of December so that they can start planning it. Okay, that's all I have for announcements. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll begin worship. Let's begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let us confess our sin to God. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We confess that we have worshipped too many other gods. We have devoted ourselves to all too many different values. Turn our hearts to you again. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We confess that we have visited all too many sanctuaries. We have tried to find the sources of life in all too many other places. Turn our hearts to you again. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We turn to you and to you alone to be our God, our only God. Forgive our sins. Give us spiritual integrity. Give us wholeness and holiness. Answer us in the name of Christ. For he has promised to intercede for us. It is in him that we pray in the fellowship of his body. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, the psalm. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, the first reading is from Acts chapter 6. and this is the calling of the first deacons. So that's what I'm, I'm going to talk about in the sermon this morning. 
is uh, the office of deacon in the New Testament. And Acts 6 tells us about the first office. Now, let me give you a little bit of uh, background info. You're going to see the word Hellenist in here. That's a fancy word for Greek. That's an, uh, that's an old, that's actually a Greek word for, that's what the Greeks called themselves was a Hellenist. And then you're going to see the word Hebrew, which is uh, Jews. There's, in the earliest Jesus community, there's both uh, Jewish followers of Jesus and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. Uh, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, taking care of the widows with uh, you know, food and physical needs. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, uh, speaking about deacons, uh, 1 Timothy 3. This follows up on the text that we read last week, which was the qualification for elder. 1 Timothy 3, right after that comes the qualification for deacons, okay? Deacons likewise, uh, likewise, you know, in reference to what he just said about elders. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise, so that's actually in Greek. It's just the word for uh, women. It doesn't say their wives in Greek. It says the women. The women also must be dignified. Here, here's the reason why I believe. is because we don't have any, record, we don't have any uh, record in the New Testament of female elders, but we do have record of female deacons. So for instance, Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 is... She's, Paul calls her a deaconess. She's the one who was entrusted with taking the letter from Corinth to the church at Rome and no doubt reading the letter, instructing the, uh, instructing the letter of Romans to the church at Rome. So I think that Paul's talking here about not about the wives of male deacons, but about deaconesses or female deacons. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. It's very, very similar to the, the qualifications for elders, right? For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 20th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. And then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? And they said to him, we're able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the other 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, uh, let's start off with a programming note first. Uh, you see the red paraments, and I'm re wearing a red alb. This is technically Reformation Sunday. I didn't really want to interrupt this. I wanted to finish this first, talking about elders and deacons. And then we'll have Reformation Sunday as a theme next Sunday, uh, if that's okay. But that's why, uh, that's why the red colors this morning. So let's talk about deacons. Now, just for clarification here off the bat, let me talk to those of you who are Lutherans. We don't really, um, when you talk to Lutherans about deacons, they hear one of two things. One, and this is more of a rare Lutheran use of the word deacon, and it's uh, actually not very biblical. I'm not saying it's evil, it's just not in the Bible. The word deacon used as a guy who's like a sub-pastor. Sometimes, you know, in Lutheran churches, this is a, very, this is a Roman Catholic usage. Um, the deacon is somebody who uh, would put on an alb from time to time and maybe help teach or preach or help uh, serve communion. That's not what deacons do in the New Testament. We actually, in the LCMS, we have a usage of deacon that's actually closer to the New Testament. That's deaconess. Deaconesses are, you know, a deaconess is a, a woman who's been uh, called to a position of doing diaconal ministry, doing service to the church. And frequently, you know, she could be a parish nurse or she could do shut-in ministries or she could uh, do some teaching. But typically, you know, that, that's, that's more like what the Bible teaches about uh, deacons in the New Testament. The word deacon is actually, so the, the English word deacon is actually exactly the same as the Greek word, which is just deacon. Deacon is actually a Greek word, and it just means servant. It just means servant or slave. And so a deacon in the church is somebody who uh, serves and ministers to the body of Christ and to those in the community. So there's two senses that I want to talk about this morning uh, really quickly. Um, a broad sense of the word deacon and then a narrow sense. In, in the broad sense of the word deacon, all Christians are to be uh, deaconing. All Christians are to be serving. All Christians are to be self-sacrificial, to be slaves of each other. Why? 
Uh, because this is the pattern, that, this is the, the, both the pattern and the teaching that Christ gives us in Matthew chapter 20, which we just read. Can we look at that again real quick? I'm not going to read the whole thing. But Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross to rescue the world. And then, uh, you know, James and John, apparently not paying attention, say, so, so whenever you're like the king of the universe and you're bossing everybody around, we want we like a slice of that pie. Can we sit on your right hand and on your left hand? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for because when you're asking for power from me, what you're asking for is death on a cross. Are you able to do that? And they're like, oh yeah. And he's like, well, okay, you actually will do that. But I can't like give you political power. That's not mine to get. It's not my job, Jesus says, to hand out political power. That's my father in heaven who, who ordains those sorts of things. Instead, and then Jesus notices that the other 10 disciples are like, well, dang them too. Like sliding in on us, fading us like that. And so they are upset that they wanted power because of course they, the other 10 want power too. And so Jesus says, all right, let's get together and let's go over this one more time. The way that power works out there in the world is this. The person with the power gets to tell everybody else what to do. That's what power means. And I get it, that's the way that you guys are gonna talk about power, and that makes sense, right? This is the way the lords of the Gentiles were. But with you, it's not gonna be that way. Whoever's greatest among you, he says in verse 25, uh, verse 26, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. It's actually flip-flopped in the kingdom of God. Those who are great are the servants. And if you wanna be the top, if you wanna be like the big dog, if you wanna be first, verse 27, you have to be the slave. And he uses the word for deacon. Whoever's gonna be the greatest has to be the deacon. And he's talking to all Christians, right? He's saying that in the kingdom of God, the definition of greatness is self-sacrifice and service. Now, this is not a backwards, this is not a passive way for Jesus to say, I wanna be the boss of you guys. So I'm gonna convince you guys to be my servant and do everything I tell you to do so that I can be the boss. Jesus is saying, this actually is at the heart of who God is. This notion of self-sacrifice and service is actually a characteristic of God. And that's why Jesus doesn't say, look, you know, we're all gonna get along better if we just treat each other better than ourselves. All religions teach this. But no other religion teaches that that flows out of the heart of God, that that's actually who God is, the one who makes others better than himself. Christianity does. Look at the last line, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When, when Jesus is saying this, what I'm doing here on earth fundamentally is I'm going to empty myself of my own power and my own prerogative and my own claims to authority over you guys, and I'm going to completely become your slave. I'm going to die on the cross for you. And what that's going to do is that's going to lift all of you up to glory. Of course, he says at the, at the beginning of our reading, he's going to be raised on the third day too. He doesn't actually lose his power. He gets his power back by giving it away. And I made this comment when we were talking in Romans. I'm going to make it again. You want power? You want authority? We all do. In the Bible, power and authority is yours only to the extent that you give it away to other people. Status and recognition is yours only to the extent that you give it up to other people. So Jesus is saying, not as a lesson for us to follow, but as a lesson that he himself models for us on the cross, that he himself works into our lives by being self-sacrificial. And you guys know, if you just look at, this is true greatness, right? True greatness, are, true greatness is not, I told the story in the first uh, sermon, 
745, and I don't want to tell the whole thing again, but the story of Max Kolb, uh, the, um, the, the Polish priest who was uh, um, uh, sentenced to Auschwitz because he refused to sign the statement saying that, few, the, uh, that, that Hitler is the Lord of the church as well. He refused to sign it. He was sentenced to Auschwitz. Somebody escaped while he was there, and the commandant said, I'm going to kill randomly 10 men as a lesson to the rest of you not to try to escape. He chose 10 men to be sequestered in a small cell and said, we're just not going to feed you. You're going to stay in We're not going to clean up after you. You're going to stay in there until you die. One of the, one of the inmates said, my kids, I can't, I, 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 I can't die. I have to go back to my kids. Max Kolb, the Polish priest, said, I'll, I'll go for him. I'll die for him. And he was told, no, you understand that you're going to die. He's like, yeah, I, I will die for that guy. And he went in and he died for that guy. And what happened was, so who has the power? He actually, he, the nine other people in the cell with him died and he wasn't dying. And so uh, a guard came in and like lethally injected him to kill him. Who had the power there? Well, in a Lord of the Gentile sense, it was the guy with the lethal injection who could kill people, right? But actually, what's turned out in history? The example that he set, the lives that he saved, not, not, not just the life that he saved, this father, so we could go back to his kids, but also the lives that he's modeled self-sacrifice to in the name of Jesus has multiplied greatly. This is your goal for those of you who are parents and for those of you who are gonna be parents someday. Right? This is your goal when you're parenting is to sacrifice yourself for the betterment of the good, for the betterment of the group, right? This is what biblical self-sacrifice in the name of Jesus does. Sacrifice myself for the exaltation of others. That's authority. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. Authority and greatness in the world is the opposite. It's the sacrifice of the many for the me, right? So, you know, Jesus is talking to people who are in, under incredible financial restraints because they pay heavy, heavy taxes to the Roman Empire. Why do they go through that financial constraint? So one person, Caesar and his family, can live in opulent luxury. That's what worldly power is actually flipped on its side in the kingdom of God. And all Christians are called to do this, whether it's in your family or in your work or you know, your life amongst the church or in the community. The Christian church is not to be an aggregate of power. The Christian church, church's job is not to put itself in a position where it can tell everybody in the community what to do and they obey. The Christian church's job is to give itself up as a ransom for the many. We're all called to be deacons. We're all called to be servants in the name of Jesus. Okay. That's the broadest sense. In the narrow, there's a narrow sense in the New Testament, though, which is this. The church in its calling to be a servant of all frequently finds it hard to do that for many different reasons. And so what God does is he arranges for there to be a group of people, much like the elders. It's, kind of the, it's the two offices in the New Testament, elders and deacons. These are the only two offices that the New Testament teaches the church should have, elders and deacons. The, deacon, the deaconesses and the deacons, it's their job, just like the elder's job to equip with the power of the word, the congregation to be the body of Christ, it's the deaconesses and the deacons' job to be leaders to equip the congregation to be the body of Christ in acts of mercy. Okay. Look over Acts chapter six. We just looked, read this, and I'm not gonna read the whole thing again to you. Let me just point out a couple of things. Why in Acts chapter six, it ends up being extremely important that deacons be called and appointed here. So, you know, they had the issues with the widows, uh, the Hellenistic widows not being, the Hellenist widows, I should say, not being served. And so they appoint deacons to take care of that so that the elders can continue 
you know, preaching and teaching and praying and studying and visiting and things like that. Why is this important? Why is it important that we have a team of people whose job it is to equip the rest of us? Well, because our biases are so invisible to us that it takes intentional, coordinated effort to see outside of them. Right now, here in this story in Acts chapter six, there's racial bias in the church against the, you know, they're, they're prejudicing the Jews over the Greeks. The Jewish widows get benefits that the Greek widows don't. Now, it's, it's unintentional, right? As soon as the church finds out about it, they're like, oh, dang, we gotta fix that. But it's there, and the, the, you know, your biases, my biases, are largely invisible to us. If we have a team of people, so I'll, I'll give you, like a, here's, here's just a concrete example. If I say, if we say as a church, we need to be doing mercy ministries here in Edwardsville and Glen Carbon, like one of the first things people say is like, well, this isn't Chicago, you know? I mean, this is largely a middle to upper middle class residential neighborhood, you know, villages. What kind of mercy ministries do we need to do? Well, the fact is there's lots. And all you have to do is look at the, you know, check out the, the announcement about the Glen Carbon Elementary School and the families in Glen Carbon that have serious financial needs, including kids who sometimes don't have meals on the weekends. If they don't get their meal at school, they're not gonna eat on the weekends. Well, I don't see it because I'm trapped inside my cute little middle-class house. I have, it's not, it's not that I don't wanna help, it's just that I don't see it. If we have a team of deaconesses and deacons whose job is to see those biases and say, there's something going on here, let's get this fixed. That can free up the church to continue doing its larger mission, but also start picking off these parts of the mission that need to get accomplished that we're not noticing because we just don't notice our own biases. So here's the second thing. Intentional dealing with those is the way to do it right here in Acts chapter six. Here's the second thing. The problem, the scope of the problem is so large that it needs to get taken care of immediately. This is one of the issues that the, the elders and the apostles have here is that when I say the scope of the problem, I mean the bigness of the problem. Here are widows. There's no social security safety net here in the Roman Empire. They're pretty much left on their own. They're hungry. If they don't get fed, they're not going to eat. It's the church's calling as the body to take care of them. And what the apostles and the elders can't do is say, okay, okay, yeah, so the Hellenistic, Hellenist widows, yeah, you didn't get served this month. Okay, I'll tell you what, we've got a meeting coming up in two weeks. We're gonna discuss it then, and then we'll get back to you with our decision. There, there's no time for that. People are hungry, and they need to eat, and they can't wait till the next elders meeting to do it. And so what happens is, is that the church raises up a group of deacons and says, like, this is you, run with this. You are in charge of making sure that all of these widows get physically taken care of. And what that does is it liberates the elders to focus on preaching and teaching and studying God's word and praying and ministering spiritually to people because there's a team of people who are gonna always take care of the physical needs. This is one of the main reasons, I think, why LCMS churches, not all, but a lot of LCMS churches struggle with taking care, with doing diaconal mercy ministry is because there's just nobody to do it. We have a pastor, and that pastor does everything. And of course, the pastor's not good at doing everything, and the pastor probably doesn't have the inclination to do this sort of thing, sadly. And so to have a team of deacons and deaconesses to say, we're gonna take care of the physical needs of the congregation. These are the two practical reasons to do it. Intentional, intentionally taking care of mercy ministry needs. Okay, now, I could stop there. I'm not going to, I could stop there. There's actually a theological reason that stands behind all of this which I'm gonna bet that some of you have sniffed out already. 
and it has to do with the nature of the church. Right? The church needs to have elders and deacons because the church is the body of Christ. Now, let me give you a couple of negative examples here before I t- tell you exactly what I mean by that. Um, if the church is a political body, and I, I don't mean you know Republicans and Democrats, I mean like if the church exists as a power structure, where the pastor is like, I'm in charge here, I make decisions, and you know, um, I have that power, then what you're going to want to do with your church government structure is you're not going to be so concerned about deacons and things like that because you're not really concerned about mercy ministries. What you're going to want to do is you're going to want to have a group of people to be a check and balance over the power of the pastor. Some of you, have, a lot of you, have been in churches where that's the way it's worked. You have the, the pastor who has the power, and then you have a church council, which isn't in the New Testament. There's no church council. But because the pastor sees his role as, I'm the prime minister of this church, you need a group of people to serve as a political check and balance to that power. You know, and you can look at the elders as kind of like maybe a cabinet to the prime minister pastor, or if the elders are strong in that church, you can see them as kind of like, you know, bicameral. Uh, you know, the, 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 the elders are the, the House of Representatives and the council is the Senate. But the problem with that is that the church is not a power structure. Remember this principle for several weeks ago? It is not the pastor's job to tell you what to do. It's the church's job to make the decisions. The pastor's job is not to do the work of the ministry, but Ephesians 4, 12, to equip you guys. The elder's job is to equip you guys to do the work of the ministry. So to see the church as power structure is the wrong way of seeing the church. Now, it doesn't mean that the churches don't do this. Some of you have been through maybe close to literal hell in churches because of power fights within the churches. This is a shame. It's like a shame to the gospel when churches see themselves as power structures. Here's another bad example. If the church sees itself, and I was talking about this uh, with, in, in Bible study recently, and a woman in the Bible study said she was in a council meeting at an LCMS church, and somebody in the council meeting said, listen, what we have to understand here is that this church is fundamentally a, a, a quarter of a million dollar a year business. That is not what the church is. The church is not a business. Is there money in the church? Yes, but it's not money to be saved. It's not money to be invested. It's money to be spent on serving the community and ministering the gospel to Glen Carbon, Illinois. That's what, now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't save. There, there, there's needs that we need to prepare for, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're unwise. Remember, one of the qualifications of an elder is to be able to manage, to not make stupid decisions and, and ungodly decisions about money. But to think of the church as a business means this. Our government structure is going to reflect that. There's going to be the spiritual people. Like I, you know, Aaron would never, he's, you know, he's too uh, unworldly wise. Let's let him pray and study his Bible. And then we need business people to run the business side of the church. Well, that's not in the Bible because the church isn't a business. Instead, what is the church? The church is the body of Christ. And that means that our government structure needs to reflect who we are as the body of Christ let me tell you what I mean. I'm going to get real practical here. First of all, we have to ask the question, what did Christ do when he was here? If the church is the body of Christ and we're supposed to be doing what Jesus did, which is true, we know this is true, right? Jesus says in John 20, he says to the disciples, he breathes on them, like he gives them a piece of himself and then says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. What I was to Israel, you are to be to the whole world. We are to be Jesus, right? If, that's, if we are to be Jesus, we need to ask ourselves the question, 
Who is Jesus? What is, what is his ministry like? And how can our church government structure reflect that? Okay, so who is Jesus? What is his ministry like? If you read the Gospels, you will notice two big things. You can't, this is like Sunday School 101, okay? You'll notice two big things that Jesus does. One is he does a ton of preaching and teaching. You got the Sermon on the Mount. You got all the parables. Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, he appears to be talking all the time. So that's word ministry, right? You also have Jesus doing a lot of casting out demons, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, calming storms. You have Jesus doing a ton of mercy ministry. This is best summed up. Do you remember the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? These two disciples meet Jesus after his resurrection. They don't recognize him yet because he's been glorified. They're talking to him and they're telling Jesus about himself. And they're saying, there was this guy, Jesus, and he, how do they describe him? He was a prophet, mighty in word and mighty in deed. So the way Jesus was described as a prophet, mighty in word and mighty in deed. Now, you know, powerful in preaching and teaching, powerful in works of mercy, deed. Is it a surprise then that when God arranges this church government in the New Testament, he chooses elders and deacons, elders to minister with the word and deacons to minister with acts of mercy and deed? Why is this? Do you see what I'm saying? There's a theological reason why we should have elders and deacons, and that should be our government structure because that reflects the very nature of Christ. If we're gonna be the body of Christ, we're gonna need to be a church that's mighty in word and deed. And it's the job of the elders to equip us all to be Bible people, steeped in God's word, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's the deaconesses and the deacons' job to equip us all to be mighty in deed, to equip us all to serve the community in the name of Jesus, the power of the gospel with works of mercy. Elders and deacons. Okay, I'm done. That's the end of the sermon. Here's what I want you to do. I want you guys, over the next few weeks, three or four weeks, I want all of you to talk about these things with other Christians in the church. You can, any, any, you can talk about it anywhere, but especially in St. James. Because what I want us to do is to be praying that God would raise up deaconesses and deacons and elders to do this word and deed ministry. Not to do it, that's the wrong way, but to equip us to do it. So that we can be a church who's, actually Jesus here in Glen Carbon. Can I get you guys to commit to that, to pray about it, to talk about it, to be thinking, who do we know who would be a great deaconess here or a great deacon here or a great elder here? Be praying and thinking about that. That means you're going to get in community, okay? You're going to be having life conversations with other people in the body of Christ. But when you start to do that, God's going to start raising up these people so that we can be a church that's on fire for the gospel here in Glen Carbon. Okay, stand with me if you would, and we will pray and then have communion. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. I, I don't know why it is that your church, I don't know why it is, forget the church, I don't know why it is, Father, that I consistently ignore you in your word. My heart becomes heavy, my eyes become dim to your glory. Uh, God, wake me up to your glory one more time. Wake me up to the power of your word. Help me, like mold me and transform me to not go along with the whims of the culture, not go along with the whims of my own upbringing even or my own predilections, but shape and transform me that, to, 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 to where I look like your word, where I begin to look more and more like your son Jesus. And I wanna pray that you would shape and transform St. James to where we actually become your body here in Glen Carbon, that we are all about mighty deeds of your word and mighty deeds of your mercy and so come to really, really embody your son Jesus here in Glen Carbon. Lord, in your mercy.
Father, I pray uh, for those who are struggling and suffering with lots of, there's lots of sickness, of course, in our culture now. And, and on top of all that sickness, uh, even a, a, a greater disease probably is the fear, uh, the fear of dying. Father, if there's one thing that this past year has exposed is that we as a culture are horribly afraid of death. And we have recently become disabused of the notion that death and bad health are technical problems, that this is out of our control, that viruses come and they kill people, that old age comes and it kills people, that poverty comes and it grabs people, that broken relationships sneak up on us, and there's nothing that we can do to stop them. And so I pray, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, that you would heal our relationships, that you would heal our minds, that you would heal our souls, that you would heal our finances, that you would heal our bodies, that you would do this in for your glory and for our good. Lord, in your mercy. Father, specifically this morning, I want to pray for your servant, Dave, father of um, Michelle, who has faced one health crisis after another and is having a lot of ups and downs, but seems to be stuck in a pattern of um, just bad things happening physically over and over. I pray that you would give healing to his body and health and strength. Hope and encouragement, especially to him, and hope and encouragement, especially to John and Michelle as they pray for him and care for him. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who wraps us up in himself and brings us into your throne room so that when you look at us, you don't see just random individuals, rebels against you, but you see your own children, your own sons and daughters, and you welcome us as your family. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
He takes.